Hello and welcome to In Lockdown With, a podcast where I, playwright Kieran Fitzgerald, chats to emerging, established and experienced artists in the fields of theatre, film, television, dance and drama, from Wales and beyond, to find out more about their careers and to see how they've been coping during the coronavirus pandemic. Expect laughs, gossip, and an insight into the careers of some of Wales's best-known creatives. If you enjoy this podcast, please like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you. Hello and welcome to In Lockdown With, a new podcast with me, Kieran Fitzgerald, where I interview some of Wales' leading creatives who are currently in lockdown due to the coronavirus. Today I'm joined by Siobhan Lenvenen, who is an emerging director. Hi Siobhan, how are you? Hi, I'm good, thank you. Hi Kieran. How are you? You're more than welcome. Um, I just think it's um, kind of a way to have a creative outlet when so many of us can't do the things that we really want to do in these these times where times of uncertainty, really. Um, so I just wanted to start by asking you: um, Were you were you very kind of interested in theatre as a child. What were your first theatrical experiences, really? Um, yes, so, good question. Um, it was kind of a weird one, because growing up in Cardiff, there wasn't nearly as much theatre in Cardiff as there is now. Um, there was still, you know, the Sherman, there was the WMC, um, but not, not quite as much crazy booming scene as there is now um so my parents did take me to see things um and i did do you know drama in school uh you know i was mary in the nativity yeah um, but i really started through yeah acting and going to youth theater i went to everyman youth theater in uh, cardiff in right. chapter for many years um and yeah, I started off wanting to act because I think that was the thing in theatre that was the most visible to me um, back then. Um, were you... The, sorry. Were you even that aware that directing was a thing at that point? Absolutely not, really. I knew about film directors and people who, who did films, but for theatre it didn't even really cross my mind that you needed someone to... <laughs> to that job you know so um it was mainly through that that I started to get a sense of what theatre was and I always loved it and did after school theatre and things like that um I also knew what an actor was because my uncle's an actor right um and he had done a lot of stuff actually with the RSC um and I'd seen him in plays so I'd seen a production of 
Romeo and Juliet when I was quite young, The Globe, which I really loved. I remember mm. really just being kind of hooked by this experience that everybody was having together. And they started off that production, actually, with Montagues and the Capulets. Uh, the Capulets came on and said, you know, uh, the, the, the announcement that everyone should turn their mobile phones off. <laughs> they were like, OK, everybody, can you please turn your mobile phones off? And then the Montagues came on and they started to do the same announcement. And the Capulets said, hold on, it's our turn to do the announcement today. And the Montagues said, no, it's our <laughs> turn. And they started fighting. <laughs> And what a brilliant way to introduce that play, which essentially starts with an argument over nothing. Yeah. Um, and and to, to introduce these two feuding families and to an 11-year-old, that's perfectly, you know, understandable what's happening immediately. Um, so I remember really enjoying that and that experience mm. of being outdoors. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I really loved theatre, but I didn't really think about directing until much, much later, later on, really. So you were a performer mainly in your childhood. Um, was there kind of a moment where... What was the first thing you kind of directed or kind of had a directorial role in, if you know what I mean? Maybe you were part of something where you were acting, but also you were more part of the creative process in terms of... Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Um, actually, it was probably, I'm trying to think, um, it was probably my first year of university. So I was um, lucky enough to go to the University of Warwick um, to study English literature. Uh, and I got in on my interview, actually, by talking about Shakespeare. And I remember my interviewer, kind of very coldly turned to me and he said, okay, I see you've mentioned uh, Shakespeare in your personal statement. Um, what makes him so brilliant then? What's the big deal? And I remember being so scared by that question, but whatever I said obviously must have worked because I got in. Um, but I, I really loved my, my years at Warwick. And in my first year, I joined the Musical Theatre Society. Mm -hmm. I was a bit intimidated about the, the main drama society, actually, because it was full of all these people who seemed to know way more than I did about right. theatre. Um, <laughs> and so... Drop my phone, sorry. Um, and so I joined the Musical Theatre Society, and uh, they were... They did this thing uh, where they put on a musical in a weekend. And so in my first year, I volunteered to direct um, a very Potter musical. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I thought it would be a brilliant musical to put on in a weekend. It's lots of fun. It's a cult classic, and I was a big Harry Potter fan. Yeah. Uh, and I just really enjoyed that. I was just playing about with my mates, um, making something silly in two days. And it actually turned out really well and really funny. Um, and I enjoyed that. And so then in my second year, I directed Guys and Dolls with the Musical Theatre Society as well. I'm sorry, I should really silence my phone, shouldn't I? Hold on. Um, okay. And, and did you feel like there was an opportunity within university to play and experiment with stuff? from that being kind of a safe space to try things out with people that you trusted. Yeah, and also they had quite a, um, not, not strict, but 
quite a stringent application process for some of the plays that you could put on. You had to really pitch your play, and it, it forced me for the first time to really think about all of the elements of things involved in a production, all of the different people that you need to get on board, all of the different things that go into making a piece of theatre, whereas yeah. before, you know, I would just think about, as an actor, what does an actor do? But mm. there's so many people involved in the creation of a, of a play that, uh, that before then I hadn't really thought about it. And I found that I really loved working with all of these different people and bringing the creativity out of them um, to create something. Um, right. But it, and it was in my third year, no, my fourth year even, because I stayed to do an MA year, that I decided to direct, um, for the first time, something that wasn't a musical, I directed uh, All's Well That Ends Well, um, the Shakespeare play, which I thought was a play that not many people really talked about, or I hadn't seen any productions of, or, you know, I'd been told as one of the not very good ones. Actually, when I read it, I found that it was led by a really strong, female character right at the centre of the story. For people um, who don't I know the... For people oh. who maybe don't know the play, like, can you mm. give, like, a brief... Um, so is it quite complicated, or...? Um, yes. So I'm trying to see if I can remember all the details mm. now, but essentially there's a main character, Helena, who um, is in unrequited love with mm. Bertram. And she spends the whole play really driving this plot to try and get those them together. Um, but various things get in their way, and there's a war. Um, but it's really the first play that I've read of Shakespeare's, or maybe of that time, where really a women, woman drove the whole action of the play um, mm. and had was the main character and almost had a Hamlet-like role at times of you know confiding in the audience and telling mm. them her her issues and her problems and trying to do something about it um and i just thought why don't we see very many productions of this play because i instantly kind of read off the page it's it's humor it's uh you know sadness and longing and love um and so i i wanted to do my own production and that's what i did as part of my ma degree uh and i really really enjoyed and loved that process and then decided after that that directing was something I wanted to give a go professionally. Yeah. Um, which again, I'd never hadn't crossed my mind very much as being an option before before going to Warwick. So you studied English literature at Warwick, and then yes. did an MA in Shakespeare, or the study of Shakespeare, or was it something more more general than that, or something more? What was your MA in? Um, so I think its official title was just English literature. Right. Um, but I did the theatre pathway basically because I was really jealous of my fellow students who had studied um, English and theatre um, and I wanted to catch up with them <laughs> and so the MA covered a lot of the ground that, that, that they, they had done in their degrees in terms of looking at theatre um, mm. but I specifically wanted to do that MA as well because um, I would be working with Carol Rutter who is an incredible um, woman, uh, female Shakespeare academic, who is just one of the best academics in the world looking at Shakespeare right now. Um, uh, and I wanted to do her course, but also I wanted to do 
there was a bursary on offer to study um, to sorry to get my MA funded in exchange for teaching year eight Shakespeare through performance. Um, right. What they did at Warwick was to teach you Shakespeare. Um, it's called without chairs. Um, so it was essentially in a rehearsal format, even though you were doing a regular English literature degree where you generally just sit around in a circle and talk about the book. Yeah. They actually they took those chairs away from you for Shakespeare and said, this is something you've got to do on your feet in a rehearsal way. And did you find that helpful? In terms Absolutely. Of... Absolutely. I think that, that it's, it's the only way, really, to really learn the, the conditions and to really understand how those plays were written because they weren't just written in isolation by one person in a room in a way he was an actor Shakespeare and he he, he knew intimately the processes of the theatre of the, that day and he wrote for his fellow actors he wrote for a specific company of people who he knew and he knew who he was writing each role for um, and what their strengths and weaknesses were as an actor and he knew the space he was writing for and so sitting down and reading it doesn't really give you that same insight into what, you know, the context of what this piece was like, would have been like. Um, mm -hmm. It's much harder to connect then to that source material, I think, when you don't um, understand the context that it comes from yeah. and understand that it was written for the theatre and for actors, not kind of to be sat and analysed in a classroom. So often they're treated as academic text and they're kind of analysed to death, I think. And when I, yeah. I remember doing, I did A-level English set and we did Hamlet um, and we just analysed like every single line without kind of looking at, at the players as a performative text. Mm. I just, since then, I think I've gained a better understanding of that play from the stuff that, that we both did on the Hamlet project than I ever did during my English at A-level. So I think we are quite precious about Shakespeare and the way that it's done or the way that it's read, but it's so much better if it's on its feet rather than just a piece of text you're reading. Just Absolutely, yeah. And I'm so glad to hear you say that you feel like the Hamlet's project, which I'm sure we'll talk about in yeah. a bit, has, has helped um, to gain more understanding. Um, because, yeah, I think there are live texts and there's texts that are designed to be performed. They're not designed to be kind of stalely read in a classroom. I'm pretty sure there's a funny Blackadder skit where <laughs> he goes back in time and uh, Shakespeare is actually horrified at the... The way yes. that his plays are yeah. analysed for generations by school kids, and, and because he goes back in time, Shakespeare doesn't write his plays or something. It's I remember, yeah, isn't that like in the Christmas special they did? Like, years yeah, I remember that. <laughs> Great. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I think he would have been horrified in some ways. <laughs> I think there is a certain amount of analysis that does need to be done nowadays just because the language is different than it was 40 yeah. years ago. Yeah. Just to give that level of understanding, yeah, but th there's, a, there's a limit to that, I think. Absolutely. I wanted to talk about the continuing relevance of Shakespeare 
and how yeah. I I find that there's a lot of themes the themes that Shakespeare talks about are incredibly relevant to us today and you know in Hamlet the themes of family of loss and I, I think that's one of the enduring qualities of his work. I don't know whether you'd agree with that. that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people talk about Shakespeare's plays being universal, and I don't know. I think they because they are so specific, in a way, they, they can be universal, if that makes sense. It's yeah. that thing of specific stories that resonate with a lot of people because as you said they're so precise on the themes of loss and on the themes of family and and everything you can find any any theme wider theme about life you can find in a Shakespeare play um but I think you always do have to if you want to keep it relevant to today you always have to think I always think when I'm directing something about that 14, 15 year old who's never been to the theatre before mm. ever in their life. Are they going to get this? Are they going to find something in this that speaks to them? Are they, is it going to hit them emotionally in some way? Or is this all kind of wanky theatre nonsense? You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. What is it that is going to appeal to that person? And, and I think really great theatre has, has that. Like, I think of some great Shakespeare, like, the Midsummer Night's Dream that was at the bridge recently, which was absolutely mad. <laughs> but it had an entire pre-interval sequence where Bottom and, well, I won't spoil it, but where uh, there was a big dance to a Beyonce song oh, wow. that, that paraded around the theatre, and it was the most joyful, beautiful, fun um, bringing together of people in the theatre that pro- possibly I've ever seen um, and it was so much fun that whole production and I think you know when you do something that, that brings a text that we typically ha- want to handle with kid gloves that we want to um, preserve to the point of making it boring respect to the point of it making it boring yeah. you know we, we actually need to be playful we need to be relevant we need to be making this text you know just telling the story in a way that people will understand today and that's what way. it's about it's about telling the story and i think that Shakespeare allows you you as a director so many opportunities in terms of where you can take it stylistically and i think there is a tendency to be overly precious because it's shakespeare we don't want to ruin it. But truthfully, I think that it gives you, you know better than me, but I would imagine that it gives you so much freedom because there are so many ways that you can go with it stylistically and it's about how you present that text. Absolutely. But also people forget, I think, that, that Shakespeare in his day, it was popular entertainment. For the masses, it wasn't some thing that it's almost become today. Unfortunately, of being co-opted by uh, a certain group of posh people talking to themselves in cushy rooms. You know, it was mass popular entertainment outdoors on an afternoon in the sunshine. Everybody would have been 
probably eating and drinking and yeah. heck. And I always compare, like I say, Shakespeare's history plays were almost like the Marvel Cinematic Universe of its day. You know, they were a big interconnected saga that everybody wanted to go and find out what happened to Falstaff, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he actually had to write a epilogue in one of his plays to say, don't worry, Falstaff will be back in the next um, But he wasn't, he actually killed him off. <laughs> but but that's, that's the thing, is that people forget it, it was a mass popular entertainment, and if we try and kind of preserve it in some kind of amber and keep it um, you know, at a distance from where we are now. But also overly intellectualising it as well, because as mm. you say, it being populist entertainment, mm. we want as many people who can to be able to understand this stuff. And I think, especially the work that, I don't know if you've been involved with the Shakespeare Schools Festival, do some amazing work uh, making it accessible to kids. Yeah, so um, so I suppose you've got two questions there. You've got about making it accessible to kids and you've got um, uh, not over-intellectualising. Um, yeah, those, there is that, that language distance of the years that have gone past, but at the same time... Um, I think it, it was popular entertainment. It was also quite sophisticated in its storytelling, very sophisticated for its day, and very um, much more psychologically, um, you know, in depth in terms of its characters yeah. than it had been before the Renaissance period. So um, there was an element of that as well. Uh, but yeah, in terms of making it accessible for kids, so I taught. Um, year eight as part of my MA degree, as I said. So I wasn't part of the Shakespeare Schools initiative, but it was something the University of Warwick did with a comprehensive school in Coventry. Right. And um, what I just found is you've just got to boil it down to, to, to something that is, is relevant to your audience, right? And so um, in terms of, we did Henry the Fourth Part One, which is quite a difficult one to do with kids, you would think, like initially. Yeah. God, how do I make this accessible for 12-year-olds? And um, what we did in our first lesson was um, made one of the particularly boisterous uh, leader-type kids <laughs> in the class, um, into the king. We crowned him. We had a whole crowning ceremony, a coronation yeah. for him. Um, and he had a set of rules for his classmates. I said he could make up a set of rules, you know, within limits. And, you know, as the rules got stricter and stricter, I then appointed somebody else to be uh, a rebel king, to be an alternative king, and to come along and say, hey, follow me, you know, I'll give you sweets. Yeah. I'll give you, <laughs> you know, under me, you can have a much easier time. Because you have the rebels in Henry IV, don't you? You're going against the king. So it's the background of the play, the um, overthrowing of... Richard II and the no sorry Richard II or Richard III I've suddenly got confused um, Second, the king in favour of Henry IV um, then uh, yeah so then that was the have a, a simple way to introduce them to the start of the play what happens when you have two kings uh, and who wins you know how do they yeah. win um, and that was kind of the basis of how we set it up 
That's brilliant. Anything which makes it kind of playful and interactive, I think is fantastic. So that I can engage with. Um, I wanted to talk about your process. Uh-huh. Uh, do you have a set process that you use when it comes to directing or assistant directing? Is there a process that you follow every time when you get that, that text or when you go into that rehearsal room? What is your process, basically? Um, I think it really depends on the project for me. Um, I'm sorry, my phone keeps going off. I don't know how to turn it off. Um, but yeah, it really depends on the project. I don't feel like I have a one-size-fits-all kind of process that I use every time. Um I know that there are certain things that I I love to do. I love to use a lot of improvisation and a lot of devising in my work where possible. I love to work with theatre makers um, who are interested in the process of of shaping the story with me. Um, I love to play a lot and to generate a lot of stuff and then to kind of edit that later and to to work with the stuff that we've created. So, yeah, I love love a really playful, Mm. generative stuff kind of project. Um, but it really depends because I suppose when you're doing um, an established play, um, that can be different and it can involve more analysis and more other things. But personally, I, I just love having a lot of fun and I think you create more exciting work when you are being playful and creative and open in the room um, and working with people who, again, are interested in in shaping the story with you. Um, it's really important. And you create a safe environment for the performers you're working with then. They can try things out without fear of any judgment from you as the director. I think that's the best way to be in terms of process. Um, Have you had to adapt that for any projects that you worked on? Maybe I've made the mistake before of um, thinking that that uh, that I was some kind of expert in the room or some kind of authority, and not creating that open environment, you know, for people to be creative and to be playful. That's something that I've had to learn to kind of step back and and to know and accept and be okay with the fact that everyone in the room with you is going to be an expert and probably more of an expert than you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, an actor knows how to act better than you do. Uh, you know, a lighting designer knows way more about lighting than you do. And that's okay. You know, as a director, you don't have to have all the answers. Um, you are there to facilitate and to be that person who helps everybody around you to do the best work that they can. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, I wanted you to kind of talk about the the role of an assistant and like uh-huh. the responsibilities of an assistant because that's something you've done as well. Um, differing from that of a director, and like how important do you think the role of an assistant is? Because I think it's a bit misunderstood a lot of the time. It's, it's difficult to know what an assistant's role is because it is so poorly defined a lot of the time. Um, I think a lot of productions um, have one, but they may not have considered 
exactly what they want to do with that assistant. Um, I think that it, it sh- an assistant should be another equal, collaborative voice in the room, a creative person who should be empowered to contribute um, and learn from that process. Um, and I think the best assisting opportunities I've had have been the ones where um, I felt comfortable and the, the environment has felt good and the director has been comfortable to to allow me to be a voice and a presence um, and part of the process. Um, I would say, yeah, not not all directors or, or you know productions have maybe considered what the assistant's role is going to be before you go in. And you, I understand as well that the assistant is almost the last priority in the room because right. you are there for long-term learning. You're not um, always going to be a big priority because the focus is always going to be on getting the show ready for <laughs> show day. And so, you're, you know, it's, it's difficult for, for directors to make time to, or for you as an assistant to get the time to work on your long-term development but those processes where that's been allowed to happen have been by far been my best experiences as an assistant yeah and when you assisted on Alice in Wonderland this year in this Christmas yeah. show what was that like in terms of because did did Rachel direct that did Rachel Ryden direct that yeah that was directed by Rachel Ryden who was actually um and of um, us as, because I was part of the JMK Sherman Directors Program, which she was, uh, you know, spearhead in leading. And she was very supportive of, of all of us in terms of our um, ongoing development. And I think um, she was about to leave the Sherman at that point, and uh, she was having a lot of fun on the project, I think, as it was kind of a low pressure Christmas um, yeah. kind of show. Um, and so I had a great opportunity on that to step in and to direct sections and she was really um, supportive of me in terms of giving me some really good advice um, as a director and she was was always open to chatting to me about um, what she was doing and what you know what I could take from that process into the future um, so yeah I, I'm really grateful to her for that and um, I suppose being on a project of that scale at the Sherman was a great experience for you as an emerging director to see how someone like Rachel works as well. And just... Yeah. Um, well, it, it was also a really cool group of creatives in that room. Hmm. A really excellent, experienced group of active musicians from Wales, including, you know, Hannah McPake, um, Kieran Self, you know, um, Joe Tweedale, uh, um, I, I could name them all, but I'm, I'm going to forget someone and offend someone, so <laughs> I'll stop. <laughs> I, I saw it, and it was a fantastic show. Oh. It? I really enjoyed it, especially the way the music was integrated. It, just, it was just a lovely, warm Christmas show, I thought. Yeah, the, the, uh, the brilliant um, Lucy Rivers, who um, was the MD and composed all the music for it as well, who is fantastic. So it, it was it was a really fun process to work on also because of um, because of those people. Um, and it was quite a large cast. I think it's probably the largest cast I assisted on of um, 10 people. 
So um, that was, you know, quite an experience to, to, to be able to work on that and to work with. I worked with the, um, the trainee actor, Callum, on, um, you know, improving stage presence and confidence. Um, so that was another responsibility I had that I really enjoyed. Did you find it more difficult uh, to get a connection with the actors because of the size of the cast? Was that a challenge? Um, to get what story with the actors? More of a connection between you. Um, no, I don't think so. Um, again, I think Rachel was, was really good. She would sometimes, you know, she had a lot of meetings and things again because she had the new role coming up. So sometimes she would say, you know, um, Siobhan, can you spend this afternoon tightening up this section for me? I've got to go to a meeting. Yeah. You know, uh, and, or she would just throw me at something, say, Siobhan, fix that, or, you know. So I, uh, she really had confidence uh, to do that. Um, and I think that helped uh, in terms of being able to be part of the process and feel like it was a voice in the room. Um, and not just, you know, somebody sat there scribbling notes, as does happen sometimes. And, yeah, um, and that was really good to hear. Um, you also assisted, or you were an original director on We're Still Here with um, National Theatre Wales. Yeah. And that was a site-specific performance in Portalbert, in... Um, in the steelworks itself. Yeah. So what was that like to be a part of that? Um, that was absolutely incredible. Um, actually, I, I, I'm wrong about the previous one. This was definitely the biggest cast that I've worked with as an, assist, as an assistant or an emerging director in this case. I was um, going to say, yeah. Yeah, because um, this had a cast of five professional actors four children, young people actors, and a, a large community cast as well of, you know, 25 plus um, community members. And that was an incredible experience to work with. It was in a giant warehouse in, uh, in Port Talbot. Um, and I got to work with um, Commonwealth, who are an amazing company led by Rihanna White and Evie Manning, who um, really work with the community. And that kind of work really, you know, inspired and ignited mm. what I love about theatre in a lot of ways. I haven't done a lot of community work before, um, and I hadn't known maybe necessarily about work that works so closely with people in a community to tell their story. And there was just an amazing moment during that process where um, the community cast and the professional cast came together first time to see what each other had been doing and yeah. to put the whole skeleton of the play together and the community cast members some of them were crying and they were wow. so emotionally touched by seeing their story told and being part of telling their own story that they had you know worked with us on and with Rachel Trezai's who had, had done some scripting for months that it was just an amazing feeling to feel like we were doing something for and helping this community to tell their own story uh, and their story of the steelworks in Port Talbot and the steelworkers who were losing their jobs yeah, uh, and the fight against that. Um, was it? Sorry. Still here, you know, it was really important. 
Was it something that you knew much about before the project? Um, yes, so my grandfather was a steelworker in Sandworm Steelworks. Um, and my father had worked a bit um, as, a, as a kid, you know, laying train tracks and things in steelworks for, for my grandfather. So I, I had that history in my family and I really wanted to um, connect back with that and to know more about that. I actually got the opportunity to go into the steelworks um, with the team as part of the research. And it's like a whole other world. It's like a whole other dimension that you enter this yeah. giant um, alternate universe where everything is is bigger than you've ever seen in your life. You know, um, a real industry, you know, mm. of the kind that we almost forget exists in Britain still today um, and is the backbone of that community. So it was really inspiring to be a part of that. And it has been a way of life. I'm from Port Albert, so it has been a way of life here for so many years. And I think what what we're still here did was highlighted that. Um, I was wondering, um, was any it verbatim? Please. Yes. Um. So kind of. I think that a lot of the union leader speech uh, stuff was based on a, a particular union leader whose name escapes me right now um, that they had interviewed quite a lot um, and I also know that um, there was a certain section in the play where the community cast um, got to go into the audience and gather a small number of audience around them individually so there were like 20 of them going into this audience of 200 people and gathering a small group of like 10 people around them and telling them their story about what their connection to the steelworks was yeah. And um, there were some quite emotional stories in there. And those were all from, you know, those were all true stories of those people. Um, and we worked with them in terms of, um, you know, making sure that they could say their own story in their own words, but concisely in like whatever two minutes that they had. Um, so we just worked with them on, make, you know, making those stories concise. But it was all their words and their speaking from the heart, you know. Yeah. Um, that Rhiannon White uh, really helped them to craft. Um, and I, I really loved seeing that process and learned a lot about yeah, working with uh, a community cast. And how to kind of get that material, I suppose, and like the richness mm -hmm. of that material. And, and then, so like I, you said earlier, creating a safe environment for people. To, to, to be able to tell their own stories. Rihanna is absolutely amazing at that. Because I suppose a lot of the information that they're going to be relaying to you is quite personal and quite sensitive. And you've got to facilitate a space where they feel comfortable telling you those things. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and, and again, Rihanna had an amazing way of creating a very safe, environment of really not patronizing people not you know of, of getting them to tell their own stories um, and be comfortable doing that and also creating a feeling of empowerment within people to be able to tell their own stories you know because that that at the time it felt like Port Talbot was a place whose story was being told for them you know that the news was always showing these stories of oh you know, look at this backwards town who mm. exists in this world and whatever, and oh, they all the job losses and 
all the terrible things happening. And they wanted to say, no, we have a community and we have people here who have a voice who mm. are not the stereotype that we think we are, you know, that you think we are, that we are a, a people who are passionate about our, about living here and, and being people here. And Rihanna was really able to, um, yeah, it was really encouraged them to talk about that. Um, and to have pride in, mm. in their community and who they are. As someone who's from Talbot, I think so often there is that stereotype of what the town is like and what the people are like. Mm. But I think that piece really brought out some really individual, specific stories, which was more than what was going on on the news at that time. It gave it more depth. And it felt authentic. It was made to feel authentic. And it was great that there was a community cast involved. Because I think, had that been a group of actors from Cardiff coming down to Talbot and doing a show about Talbot, that could have felt tokenistic or that they were coming from outside, if you know what I mean. But I feel Absolutely. Like... I'm really glad to hear you say that as well. And, and one of my proudest moments as part of that was hearing, probably about a year or two later, my partner has a friend, well, my partner's from Neath, and he, um, <laughs> his friend is a steel worker in Port Talbot. And uh, I just met, happened to meet him a couple of years later. And, you know, we were talking about directing, and I told him that I'd done We're Still Here. And he yeah. quoted back to me some lines from the play and he remembered scenes and he'd gone wow. to see it and he loved it and he's a man who'd never goes to the theatre wow. um, never gone to the theatre in his life and he said oh yeah I remember that that was brilliant and I loved it and here were my favourite bits and I just went yes this is exactly what we need is somebody you know feeling like their story has been told um, and even if they've never engaged with theatre before and don't really have an interest in it really engaging with and, and loving that mm. experience and I think that's what theatre can do, is engage with people who might not otherwise have known that it was there, and like giving someone a connection to a story that they wouldn't otherwise have got. Um, it was such a powerful piece. Um, I want to conclude by talking about the Hamlet project that we were both involved in, which was a project um, which was done by Mass at the Mass, which ran in Cardiff in the... Well, well, there were four hubs around the country, uh, two in South Wales, two in North Wales, and the, it was really to develop a contemporary response to Hamlet. It was for young people um, from 18 to 25, and... Uh, how did you get involved with the project, first of all? Uh, well, that's interesting. So I'd done a workshop um, on Shakespeare uh, a couple of months before um, the, project start, the Hamlet's project started. I'd actually done a workshop on Hamlet in, uh, in a, a venue in Cardiff, um, and uh, that, that project didn't end up panning out because of various reasons. Um, but Paul had come along to that, Paul Edwards, who is the one of the project leads on Hamlet's, 
and he um you know came along as an actor to take part in that in that workshop right. um and i worked on that workshop with uh, someone i'd gone to warwick with julian richards who is now um, doing his phd at warwick and on the way to becoming an excellent shakespeare academic and we'd worked together on how we can incorporate um you know academic things into theatrical practice without it being let's sit down and analyze in the way you do in school you know um exactly that and we i wanted to create something that was very welsh a hamlet hamlet that was was distinctly welsh in its voice um because i'd done my ma dissertation actually on welsh characters in shakespeare and the welsh represented in productions of shakespeare um and i wanted to see you know what it would be like in this kind of amazing church venue um, Cornerstone Arts Centre in, in Cardiff mm. to do this kind of punk production of Hamlet with like all very unapologetically Welsh cast um, and again as I said like that project didn't pan out but then I, I Paul had mentioned to me at the time that he'd had this idea for Hamlet and he approached me then oh gosh I can't remember how much later um, and said look me and, and Gethin from Branwen have got the go-ahead to start this this project. Would you like to potentially come and help run the Cardiff Hub with me? Um, and I was like, of course, because <laughs> <laughs> it's a mixture of all of the things that I love, you know, uh, Shakespeare, working with young people, working in the community, creating something that is devised and interesting about the experiences of young people. So, um, yeah, so Paul approached me to come and be part of that. Um, so uh, yeah, as I said, he explained that it was going to be a massive ensemble of Hamlets with young people from all over the country, and I was really excited by that idea of it being a national ensemble of Welsh Hamlets uh, of young people who who would you know talk about their experiences and what matters to them through the character of Hamlet. So yeah, that, that's what excited me about it. Mm. And and. Working with Gethin and Paul, um, it was for me. It was such a lovely atmosphere within the room, and the engagement was incredible. Um, and I'm, I'm glad to hear that because, um, yeah, that that was uh, definitely the intention, I'm sure. And um, yeah, get so we're talking about um, Gethin Evans of Branwell, who um, directing is directing the piece, and Paul's the dramaturg slash associate um and yeah he creates such a, an incredibly in welcoming freeing creative environment i think and it was a pleasure to work with both of them i agree i'm not sure how he does it there's definitely <laughs> a skill to it um <laughs> is there going to be a future to that project i hope so i really hope so i think there, there is a plan for there to be a project for uh, for there to be a future for the project, it just depends. It's funding dependent, and also at the moment, it is the virus that shall not be named dependent yes. as well. I'm sure. Um, but we are organising follow up workshops with you guys, or follow up online follow ups probably now uh, with you guys to to get your feedback from this stage of the project and, and see how we can move forward. That would be fantastic. Yeah, th this virus is kind of ruining everything, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, so it, it is odd because it feels like everything has gone overnight. Everything that I had in the pipeline, every every project, um, 
is kind of delayed indefinitely. And so many people are struggling right now because the government hasn't provided accurate support, um, a- adequate support for freelance and self-employed mm. people. Um, and there are a lot of theatres and there are a lot of businesses, I'm sure, that will, will go out of business because of this. Uh, and it's going to be a tough time for the theatre industry going forward. And the government needed to come out, in my opinion, and say something to say. We'll be there for you however long this takes. But I don't know whether they will or not. But I think the best we can do... Sorry, Sean, go on. No, no. Um, it, it's a lack of compassion, isn't it? It's mm. an utter compassion for people who are in need. Um, anyway, yeah, that, that's all I wanted to say, really. <laughs> um, thank you. It's been lovely. So, um... We, this is the end of the first episode of the podcast. I want to thank Siobhan Lindwellen for her company today. Uh, it's been really interesting. So um, I'll be back with another podcast very soon. Um, hope you're keeping well out there and stay safe. Bye. Thank you, Karen. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of In Lockdown With. The podcast is written, produced, and curated by me, Kieran Fitzgerald. Thank you to all my guests for taking the time to appear on the show. If you enjoyed this episode of In Lockdown With, please consider liking or subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And I'll see you next time for another interview.